Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. Abraham, that great father of faith in the Old Testament, just could not say no to his dad. I'm not talking about his heavenly father. I mean his human, flesh and bones dad. He just couldn't say no to him, even though he was supposed to. And because he couldn't say no when he was supposed to, it created problems for Abraham. It creates problems for you and I, too, when we don't say no when we should say no. That's what this Bible study is all about. Okay, so we were introduced in chapter 6 to Stephen. I think we did a pretty good job of getting to know him. Uh, but now Stephen's got a problem in chapter 7. And uh, Stephen's problem is that, um, as we know, and I'll just read it real quickly uh, as a context to today, uh, what we know is that Stephen uh, has argued with these uh, people, and those people, because they couldn't win the argument, attacked him, and they encouraged people to lie about him and what he was saying and the way he was preaching. And uh, because of that, they got people stirred up. And so now uh, Stephen is before our favorite group of people, the Sanhedrin. We'd love these guys, don't we? They're fantastic. So uh, now Stephen has been put on trial, so to speak. And in chapter 7, we're going to hear what Stephen has to say um, in his defense. So Let's just look here really quickly. I'm going to start uh, just as a just to give the context. Chapter 6, verse 8. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place, that being the temple, or against the law, the law of Moses. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. 
all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intent, intent, intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So that's where we are. So we're picking up now in chapter 7, verse 1. Then the high priest of the Sanhedrin asked him, are these charges true? So now they give the floor to Stephen. And in the, in the rest of this chapter, in, in the rest of this chapter, we're going to hear Stephen's, it's not, it's, I, it is a defense, but it's also a sermon. Uh, and so we hear Stephen's sermon, and the amazing thing about it is, as we said when Peter was preaching, this is an incredible sermon on the spur of the moment to preach. Uh, obviously, it was the Holy Spirit speaking through Stephen, because he, he gives this Reader's Digest version of the whole history of the Jewish people. I mean, just in, in one in one sermon. I say, when you're preaching or teaching, there are, are two, two, two ways, two methods, generally speaking. You can take scripture and use a telescope. And you remember when Mike Owens, Mike Owen did his thing uh, before I started teaching. It was, it was amazing, the guy, the way he could teach. And David Palmer does it a lot, too. They use a telescope. They look, at the, they look at the broad picture. Look at the whole universe of Scripture. And somehow they're able to take this whole telescopic look at the whole everything and, and make it mean something and bring it to make sense and it speaks to us. So that's what well, some pastors and some preachers use uh, a telescope to, to, to present scripture. Some people, they'll be nameless in this class, but some people, they look at uh, scripture with a microscope, okay? And they look at the granular. They go into the granular, the each and every word and each and every verse. I don't know who these people are, but they look, and so and they bring it up from the microscopic standpoint. And so... Stephen is the telescopic guy. He's taken the whole history of the Jewish people and he's putting it into one sermon at one setting. And the other thing that's so impressive, as was impressive with Peter, is that he can, he can spout off scripture. He, can, he just knows it. He's memorized it. He can just say, he, 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 there are two, two parts in this when we get to them. One is from Amos. One is from Elijah. And he just speaks the scripture just... You know what? Didn't have a he didn't have a tablet. He didn't have a scroll. He just knew it, and he was able to recite it because he he, he knew the scripture that well. So it's impressive in its scope. It's impressive in the points that he makes. It's impressive by the scripture he recites. It's a very impressive uh, defense. Uh, I don't know. Never having gone to Hebrew school, but um, do you have any idea? I, I, I was in grade school. A lot of Jewish kids would go to Hebrew school three days a week, and but in in the old country, I think they were going like every day. And it was their school, yeah. And so um, wasn't that? I know when they go when they give their bar mitzvah. I've been to several bar mitzvahs, and and they're required to memorize great swaths of um, scripture. Mm -hmm. I just wonder if, um, if that wasn't that uncommon. What, what might be uncommon is being able to synthesize it all and kind of hover above it and see it. But I think they, 
That's probably what they were all expected to do to some extent. I think well, you're they, right. They, all had, they had to do that because they didn't always have the written word. Right, they didn't have access they to like we do. Read. A lot of them didn't even, so the best thing to do was to remember. I think the reason he, of course, he's doing this is because he wants to show them, no, look, I believe in everything here. I believe in everything. You're accusing me of not being a Jewish believer, but here it is. I believe in all of this. So, but yeah, but that's exactly right. They have to be... Um, they have to have all that in their brain because they don't have access to the written word often. Yeah, exactly right. And that's why people today encourage the memorization of Scripture because wherever you are, whatever situation you're in, you don't always have a Bible. But you know, if you have it in your heart and your mind, then so much the better. But yeah, who was the guy? I forget his name now. He was on TV and on the radio. Goodness, I should remember his name. Yes. Memorize the entire Bible. I mean, he could he could just say, "This is the passage. This is the chapter. This is the verse." And, and any any scripture is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And he 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 just he just could recite it. I mean, Jack Van Empey. Yeah, that's exactly who it was. He was impressive to to listen to. Um, As a children's leader, anyone for years, anyone that grandkids. If you can encourage them to memorize scripture, what a blessing. I mean, personally, in later years, the things I memorized when I was a kid are the ones that I can bring up and quote. The ones that Lois makes us memorize these classes every day. I do it for the minute, but... To go back and, okay, uh, what verse was that? And I remember it starts out like this. And, yeah. The ones we learned as a kid, and I it's from the King James, the King James, and I love the King James verse, well, poetic say, yeah. qualities. I mean, when I think of those verses, I can't think of where it's written. Later, you got to hear it. The way you, the way you originally learned it yeah. is the way you remember it. But Grady, I want to go back to what you said because you are exactly right. You hit the nail on the head. Stephen has been accused of blasphemy against the temple and against Moses. And he starts off purposely to show, hey, I'm one of you. I'm also a Jew. I also believe in Abraham and Moses and Joseph and so on and so forth. So in that fact, in that effect, we're we're on the same page. Now, this is also not uncommon when you're producing sermons, is that sometimes you'll present a sermon where you'll say to people, hey, we all, we all agree on this, don't we? Yeah. We all agree on this, don't we? Oh, yeah. We all agree on this, don't we? Oh, yeah. But what about this? And then you hit them, you know, and they're like, oh, well, wait a minute. I got to think about that. And, I don't know. and sometimes it hasn't more. Remember when uh, Nathan, the prophet, confronted David after David arranged for Uriah? to be killed, and Nathan came and he said the story for David. David, it's about, it about a lamb, about a sheep. Remember this guy, this poor guy, his, his beloved sheep and all of this, and this rich guy came and, and took the sheep, and, and David says, yes, 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 and then David says, this guy should, he should pay this price, yes, 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 and then Nathan says, well, this is you. All of a sudden, whoa, you know. So this is what Stephen is doing here. We all agree on this, don't we? Yeah. We all agree on this. Yeah. We all agree on this. Yeah. But at the end, he's gonna say, "But you." And then that's when they get upset. 
So, uh, so here we are. So let's go ahead and start this and see uh, what happens. We are going to, uh, as Dennis likes to say, run down some rabbit holes here. So hang in there with me, but I hope you feel it's worth it when it's all said and done. Okay, so verse 2 of chapter 7. To this, Stephen replied, brothers, brothers, in other words, people, you, you men who are my age, we're brothers. I'm a Jewish person just like you are. And fathers, those of you who are older than me, more elderly, brothers and fathers. You know, he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm also a Jewish person. Uh, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. Oh, they know Abraham, don't they? Okay, yeah, Abraham is like, for all intents and purposes, the beginning of the Jewish race. So let's just go back and say, appeared to our father. You know, my fa- I believe in my father Abraham just like you do. And while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, leave uh, your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. Okay, now just take a minute. Let's go back to Genesis uh, chapter 12. And we're going to see exactly what happened here that Stephen is referring to. And the reason I want to do this is because as, as we look back at Abraham, and as the Jewish people look back at Abraham, he was a man of great faith. We find him in, listed in the chapter of faith in Hebrews as one of those who had great faith. Uh, he was a great man. We talk about great people. Abraham was the greatest people ever to walk the earth. And he was obedient. God called him to leave his people, and he left his people. But the problem was that Abraham was not completely obedient. And so Abraham is a good just quick study for us because of the cautionary tale of of him at the beginning, which is that you can't be kind of obedient to God. You can't be 80% obedient. Uh, you have to be 100% obedient. And although Abraham was obedient, he wasn't 100% obedient at the beginning. So let's look at this and see what I'm talking about. So let's go to um, Genesis chapter 12. It says, the Lord had said that, it says Abram, we know this is going to eventually become Abraham, so I'm just going to call him Abraham here. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, which was, we know, Ur of the Chaldeans, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. That's just what Stephen preached, right? Okay. Let's go back to verse uh, 31 of chapter 11, just for a minute. Chapter 11, verse 31. Actually, I'm, I'm going to go back to verse 27. It says, This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. 
While his father, Terah, was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. So we know they're all from Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Isaac, Eska, I guess. Uh, now Sarah was barren. She had no children. Okay, so there is, this is part of a genealogy that uh, we are getting here in Genesis. So verse 31, Terah took his son Abraham, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abraham, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Okay, so this genealogy makes it seem like Terah was the one who was leading the pack, but that's just part of the genealogy, the way it's phrased that way. In, verse, in chapter 12, we know that the Lord said to Abraham, and everything, all the theology of the Old Testament is based on the fact that God appeared to Abraham and told Abraham to do this. And he said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Okay, but up here we say, it says that who went? Who went with Abraham? Terah, his father, went, and Lot, his nephew went so i think so here's the, here's the picture i get just to kind of as as i this is what i think happened so god it has to be right right okay yeah exactly <laughs> so god appeared to abraham said abraham i want you to leave your people leave your household leave uh, leave your uh, uh, father's household leave your people leave your land and go to a place i will show you and so so what does abraham do he goes to his dad. He says, Dad, God has called me to leave this place and to leave your fa our family and to, to go, and Sarah and I are going to go. And his father said, what? He said, well, you know what? I'm going to go with you. And Abraham, you know, Abraham didn't say, no, Dad, God told me to go away from you. You know, we know later on Abraham had some problems sometimes with confrontations every now and then. And so this is the very beginning. And I, I don't think Abraham was able to stand up to his dad and say, no, you can't go. God told me to go, go away from you. When his dad said, I'm going to go with you, uh, Abraham said, well, I guess that'll be okay. And then... His father said, you know, and, and Lot, you know, Lot's dad passed away, so we got to take Lot too. And I think Abraham said, well, I guess that'll be okay. And so when they left the land, I think the, one of the reasons Tara is is, is, is is kind of put in this phrase, I think the dad was leading the, he was leading the, the charge. It was like, you know, dad's out in front because he's the dad, and then I come later. And so, so but the point of the, the point is, that God specifically said, leave your country. Abraham was obedient to that. Your people, well, he took Lot, that was one of his people, didn't leave him behind. And your father's household. Did he leave his father's household? No, he took his father's household with him, didn't he? So he is right out of the gate, not completely obedient to what God told him to do. Okay, so 
Verse 2, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, uh, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram, Abraham left as the Lord had told him, and Lot was with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out. Now, let's, let's stop there for a minute. Let's stop there for a minute. So let's go back here and say, okay, so God called him to go to a place I will show you, right? So let's go back to chapter 11. Let's go to verse 31 again. He says, set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. So he knew, at some point, he knew that God was leading him to Canaan. This was probably written after the fact. So at the time, he didn't know where he was going, but eventually they found out it was Canaan. So when this was written, they say, you know, he was supposed to go to Canaan. So they, he set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to a place he didn't know, which ended up to be Canaan. But look at the next, but. And when you see but in scripture, it's either for something better or something worse. But something better happened, but something worse happened. In this case, it's something worse happened. So they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. Is that what God wanted them to go? Haran? No. No. He wanted them to go to Canaan. That's not the same place. Haran is on the way, but it's not all the way there. So what happened? They leave to a place that I will show you. And along the way, before God says, you're there, what happens? My own imagination? I think Terah, the father, said, Abraham, I can't go no farther. Nice place. Good enough. I, what he said was, it's good enough. Be careful when you, there's two things you have to be careful of when you say to yourself. One is, it's good enough, because when you say it's good enough, it's never good enough. When you say it's good enough, it's never really good enough, usually. And the other thing you have to be careful of, and every single time I've said this, I've regretted it, and yet I keep doing it. When you hear yourself say, I deserve this. I deserve it. When you say you deserve something, you're going to do something you shouldn't do. You probably wish you wouldn't have done when it's all said. Every time I think, I deserve this, I end up paying the price. So anyway, the point is, they stopped before they got there. You know what Haran means? You know what the meaning of Haran is? The meaning of Haran is delay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So there was a reason that that had to happen. And it was actually instituted by God. You know why? Because God wanted a new start. He wanted purity. He wanted obedience. He wanted faith. And if you go back and look, and I won't go into all of it, but if you go back and look, Terah was a pagan. Terah worshipped pagan gods. And we don't have any evidence that he had a change of heart in any place. We know that Abraham did, because Abraham gave his faith to, to God. But we don't know that Terah did. So God had to stop this procession before they got to the promised land, because Terah was not 
Terah was a pagan. He was worshiping pagan gods. He probably took his pagan gods with him. And, and God said, no, we can't. That will pollute Abraham's family and the land where I'm sending them. I cannot, we cannot allow, I cannot allow that to go to the promised land through Abraham. That will, as we know later on, that idol worship completely pollutes uh, the, the Israelites and the land. So God has to stop it before they get there. So they stop in Haran, they have this delay, and then verse 32 of, of chapter 11, Terah lived 205 years old, and he died in Haran. Okay, so now he dies, okay? So let's go then now to chapter 12. And so verse 4 of chapter 12, this is after Terah has died, okay? Verse 4 of chapter 12. So Abraham left Haran. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So he's finally now on the move again. But see, God had to wait until Terah died before he could move Abraham on to the promised land. So that's why there was that delay. Yeah, was, right, exactly. But there was that delay, 205 years old. I don't know how old he was when he started, but but they had to, he had to wait. So, But now once he dies, now they can be on their way again. So they set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Okay, now, is he now completely obedient? Greg, you're shaking your head. <laughs> Why is he not completely obedient still? He still has Lot. He's still taking Lot. I mean, God said, Abraham, you and Sarah, basically, go. And Abraham said, I'm going to take my dad. I'm going to take my nephew. And God said, that's not what I said. <laughs> that's Wouldn't not what I said. Wouldn't he some responsibility for his nephew, though, as a deceased I'm sure he did, and I'm sure that's the human nature. But it's not what God told him to do. It's not what God told him to do. So, so what what God says trumps what man's law is, or what the tradition is. That's the whole thing with Jesus, right, and the law of Moses, right? He came to say, no, I'm I'm changing that now. I mean, you know, so. When God speaks, that trumps everything. So yes, in human nature, I'm sure Abraham, and maybe that's part of the reason, Abraham felt sorry for his nephew, felt a father figure, felt a responsibility, but that's still not being completely obedient to what God said. Same thing with the Pharisees. They had all these all these laws that, that, that theoretically they're being religious, but they weren't really following God. Right, exactly. What God says trumps everything. Yeah, Ruth. That's what really bothered me leaving class yesterday and last week. The Pharisees are all have all these laws. You've got to obey. You, you have to obey all these laws that have made up some even more because laws are so important. Well, one of the laws in the Ten Commandments, without the 631 or whatever they were, <laughs> what? 618, excuse me. <laughs> I'm glad Dennis knew that. <laughs> Uh, one of them is to not bear false witness. Yes. And it's a very thing they they had these people 
do to get rid of somebody. So how can they do that when they think that it's so important to to follow these laws and just get somebody else not to do that? They're, they're just as responsible for telling I think the, the, the human nature is such that you sort of hear what you want to hear. In one sense, um, Christ did say exactly what they're calling blasphemous. He said, uh, Jesus did say he was going to destroy the temple. Jesus did say um, that he was going to change uh, change things. Um, he was talking about a spiritual kingdom, but um, Pharisees never did get that. Right. Uh, so it's okay to go against the Ten Commandments if you've got another cause to focus. That just works. You know what? You just gave, Ruth, you just gave Stephen's exact, you boiled down to one statement exactly what Stephen is, his point. His whole point is exactly what you said. At the end of this, he's going to say, I'm not the one who broke the law. You're the one who broke the law. Okay. So we're getting there, but you, you got it right. That's exactly, you, you get the nail on the head. So, so here's, so the, the point is that Abraham, even though he humanly maybe felt sorry for, maybe he felt for a lot, maybe he felt he was a father figure, maybe he felt this boy needed some good influence in his life and all of those things, but that's not what God told him to do. And, would, and here's the thing, by doing this, Maybe Lot's life would have been better having been left behind. Maybe not only Abraham would have been more in God's will, but maybe, you know, God had a plan for Lot too. And maybe this contravened what God had in store for Lot. This is something we have to be careful of actually as Christians because we always want to run to the rescue. And we, we should. I mean, we want to. We Our heart goes out to people. We have great sympathy and compassion. But sometimes God is dealing with someone. And sometimes what that person is going through is God's way of dealing with them. And if we're not careful, we might contravene what God is trying to do in that person's life by interrupting what God is doing and working on in their life. I'm just saying that when we want to go help people, you know, pray about it, think about it, make sure it's what God wants you to do, and and do it in a way that is careful. Uh, but sometimes we have to be we have to be cautious because we have to think, you know, we we want to be careful not to interrupt what God is doing. So God had a plan for Lot. God had a plan for Abraham, and maybe Abraham contravened what he was doing in Lot's life too. But the fact is, guess what happens? He takes Lot with him, okay? That's in verse 12. In verse 13, uh, they get to a place and Abraham and Lot are going to separate, okay? They've arrived at Canaan uh, in the, the right area and uh, Abraham says, you know, we're, we're both, we have, we have too much livestock, we have too much stuff, our, our people are fighting against each other, so we need, we need to separate, okay? And Abraham had every right to say, I'm going to go here and you go there. That's not what he said. Abraham said, Lot, you choose. Where do you want to go? And Lot said, I really like that big city over there, Sodom. I want to go over there. And so Abraham said, hey, more power to you. Knock yourself out. Go to Sodom. So Abraham stays kind of out in the wilderness. And, and uh, Lot goes with his wife. And he goes to Sodom, right? So that's verse 13. 
in verse 14, uh, let's look here in verse 14 of Genesis, uh, verse 8, 14.8. It says, Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, the, I don't, forgive me for my pronunciation, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Siddim against whatever his name is, king of Elam, uh, title king of Goem. So, so in other words, there's going to be this battle between the forces of Sodom and their allies and this enemy. Okay, so what happens? Verse 10. Now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits. When the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them and the rest fled into the hills. So they lost the battle. Sodom's people, that army lost the battle. Verse 11, the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off who? Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. So now here they are. Lot goes to Sodom. He's in Sodom. When this battle takes place, they lose the battle. The enemy sweeps in, takes all the food, and takes Lot. I mean, did Abraham need to be bothered with all of this? Right? I mean, Lot has become a thorn in his side now, hasn't he? So, verse 13. One who had escaped came and reported this to Abraham, the Hebrew. Now, Abraham was living near the great seas of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Esco and Aner, all of whom were allowed with Abraham. When Abraham heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abraham divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. So Abraham had to go and run and rescue Lot. Lot shouldn't even have been there, right? So what Lot is doing is distracting Abraham from fulfilling what God called him to do. So you have his father, Terah, who delayed him, and his nephew, Lot, who distracted him. And this creates, you know, a, a barrier between Abraham and, and what, what he did and had to do versus what God really wanted him to do. So God had this plan for Abraham. Abraham, go, follow me. I'll show you this place to go. And, and, and God had all this stuff laid out for Abraham to accomplish. And yet, because he didn't completely, he didn't 100% obey, he 75% obeyed, because he didn't 100% obey, he was delayed and distracted from God's plan. And all that to say is that's a, a cautionary tale for us that we can't be partially obedient to God. We can't be 75% obedient, we can't be 80% obedient if we're not 100% obedient, guess what's going to happen? We're going to be delayed and distracted. We, we just have to put God first in all of this, don't we? Okay, so that is, uh, that's where we start. Well, that's one verse. Okay, do you want to get another verse done here real quick? Okay, so actually that was four verses, so give me credit for that. So it says, verse five then, uh, God gave Abraham no inheritance here not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. 
God spoke to him in this way. Your descendants, now listen to this, this is so cool. Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said. And afterward, they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. What was God talking about there? He was talking about, where was, where is this place? Yes, Egypt, right, Egypt. Right? God is saying, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. That's Egypt. That's under Pharaoh. But I will punish the nation, Egypt, they serve as slaves, God said. And afterward, they, the people of God, the Israelites, will come out of that country, Egypt, and will worship me in this place in Canaan. But God is saying this hundreds of years before it happens. There are at least a couple hundred years between the time of Abraham and the time of Moses. So God is saying right at the beginning, this is going to happen to you and to your people. It's hard to avoid the conclusion that the 400 years of, quote, delay um, maybe relates directly back to what you're saying about Abraham. Yeah, I think... God can God uses sometimes difficulties in our lives to bring us closer to him, doesn't he? And the people uh, you know, they struggle through this slavery and it took them years and years and years. I mean, a long time to get that behind them. Uh, but it was it was something that God was using uh, to create a nation that was, somewhat obedient to him for a while anyway. So uh, the, the, the amazing thing I think here is the fact that uh, a lot of times, uh, if you pass over the scripture and don't look into it and don't read it, is the fact that God was telling them this was going to happen hundreds of years before it actually did happen. Isn't that incredible? And so just... just I, think, I think that, that, that Stan just raised a very good point. Is it possible that Abraham's disobedience, because he, he, it says clearly he's not going to give him any land. It's not going to be his land. It's going to be his descendants' land. And then they will be imprisoned, blah, blah, blah. Do you think that's a result of Abraham's disobedience to God? Do you think there would have been a different result had Abraham gone directly and done exactly what God said? That's a good question. That's a good question. I, I wouldn't say no to that. I don't know that we can make a direct correlation to that, but it's not a bad thought that that could have something to do with that could have something to do with it. Yeah, uh, that that's a possibility. Or it could just be that it could. Or the other way to think of it is just that sometimes God does the most outlandish thing, the most unexpected thing, the most difficult thing the most unbelievable thing that you can think of to show that it's his will, it's he's involved. So it could be that he's predicting this hundreds of years before it happens because at this point, you know, I'm sure Abraham would be saying to himself, that's like crazy talk. You know, that's like incredible. And yet when it happens, then all of a sudden you say, oh my goodness, God does what he says he's going to do. 
even, even though it's outlandish. So when God says, you know, my son is going to be born of a virgin, you say, that's ridiculous. That's outlandish. That could never happen. And then it does. And then you believe in God and what he says the next time because the outlandish thing he said the last time did happen. So it could be that this is along those lines too, that this was the most outlandish, crazy, and remarkable, incredible thing that possibly could have happened. It's like so ridiculous, and yet it does happen. And because it does happen, all of a sudden you have to take God seriously no matter how outlandish what he says, he says, it's still going to happen because it's God. You know, there's nothing too outlandish well, the other for him. Thing that's amazing is that Abraham didn't know anything about God before God killed him. Exactly. So, I mean, it's like... <laughs> and see, when this happens, when this happens, you know, Abraham isn't around. When they're in Egypt, Abraham isn't even around anymore. He's died. But the people of the time could look back at this and say, God told Abraham this was going to happen. Yeah. We can't believe it actually happened, but it did. You know? yeah, but isn't it possible, my point I'm making is, is that Abraham goes, well, who's talking? But that's why he's a man of great faith, yeah. because he took God at his word. He, he said, do this, and he said, I'll do it. Yeah. The only problem is he just didn't do it all. He held back, you know. He didn't completely uh, do it. So the last thing, and I'll stop on this. We're gonna we'll come back to it next week. But I want you to see what happens next. So uh, where are we here? Um, okay, verse verse eight. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph. They sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over uh, over Egypt. Uh, and then he goes he goes on and on and on. And uh, if you look at um, what happens eventually, or when you think of, and we'll get to it next week, is eventually uh, what Abraham says is. Uh, in, let's just look at it real quick. Genesis 15. Genesis 15. Let's just take a minute. Just take a minute. But I want you to think about it. Genesis 15. Uh, I want you to look at verse. Okay, I'm gonna start at verse five real quick. He took him. He, uh, God took uh, Abraham outside and said, "Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them." He then he said to him, "So shall your offspring be." Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited him as righteousness. So there you go, the faith of Abraham. He believed the Lord when he said this. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you, to give you this land and to take possession of it. And Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, this is the point, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? God said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. And Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? What? What? So that's where we'll pick up next week. I just want to cogitate on that this week and think about of all that he did for Abraham and all the things that happened, all the, and then he says, right? God says outlandish things. But it says he believed God when God said you will be a great people. He believed it. And yet, when God says, you'll take possession of the land, he said, 
How can I know for sure? <laughs> so that's where we'll leave it. And uh, we'll look at that, start there next week and talk about that a little bit more. So. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom.